Please join me in prayer before I preach this sermon. Heavenly Father, I pray that my words are your words on such an important topic and that you search the hearts of each and every one of us, of our intentions and our expectations, and that they be godly things. Lord, I pray that you go before me, you ready the hearts and the minds of those that listen, and that we offer up all of our time and our energy, our mind and our hearts for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it is my honest prayer and sincere prayer that you had a happy Valentine's Day, spending time with those you love or doing those things which you love. If saying Valentine's Day does not bring you joy, I believe I will provide some wisdom that may make you change your mind. Prayerfully, before you leave here, or stop listening to this message, you will be not only joyful about Valentine's Day, you will understand the essence of relationships as expressed in and through Jesus Christ. As I began last week our Life Together sermon series, as Christians is characterized by and expressed in a different manner than Life Together in any other context. Not only that, but Life Together as Christians should be expressed in different areas of our individual lives. Church life, dating and marriage, family friendships, especially in regards with friendships with those in the world, and so forth. This morning, we are going to focus on dating and marriage. I believe the reason why is obvious. And I may say that this is a redo of the sermon that I had preached on Valentine's Day um, at the Blue Point Bible Church. Unfortunately, I had a recording problem with the computer, so I had to redo this sermon. I pray you are blessed by what I have to offer. I believe the reason why we focused on dating and marriage on this past Sunday was obvious. It was Valentine's Day. So being upfront and honest with my view of relationships in the world, I believe it is evident that our culture has decided to do things their way. In so many ways, continually being led carnally rather than heeding God's wisdom. And now we see devastation in every area of love. Singles depressed and lonely, dating couples confused about boundaries and pursuits, failed marriages, and the list goes on. The advice that comes from both the Christian community as well as the advice that comes from the secular philosophy is plentiful. However, most people are just as confused as one another. Nobody seems to have a handle on what we do as far as dating or relationships. In listening to the wisdom of others, you must use discernment. While there is some great wisdom and resources out there, let me be very clear on that. You must always seek, search, and prove truth. I have provided some resources in your bulletin this morning, or in, if you're listening to this message, I will be providing them on my blog site at mianogonewild.wordpress.com. Those resources are important. However, they can never lead a biblical worldview. Sometimes you must establish context in what you're reading in Scripture, what you're taking as far as advice from other people, and how you're applying that to your life. Sometimes you must look at various options offered. You must consider all the sources, prove all things, to use Scripture from 1 Thessalonians 5.21. And plainly, there's some advice out there that is toxic. 
as a young man always willing to learn new wisdom and apply new areas of discipline and learning into my life, I went on a hunt for resources. Looking on the internet as well as walking into the bookstore, you find that advice resources on this area are numerous. Plus, all the talk shows in reality TV, similar to Dr. Phil, are ready and willing to offer their wisdom. Again, discernment must be applied. It was Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer who I coined the phrase that I have used for this sermon series, Life Together, from his book that he had written compiling his sermons of living in community with 25 other pastors, surely someone who can speak to us about life together in many regards. Pastor Bonhoeffer had remarked, well, rather, he lamented the fact that we often receive life experience or motivational speech rather than scriptural wisdom. His words were this, how often we hear innumerable arguments from life and from experience put forward as the basis for most crucial decisions, but the argument from scripture is often missing. And that is so true in this area we are discussing. After searching myself and being honest with my thoughts and views, then poring over resources regarding dating and marriage, I came away with a load of advice from life experience. Hardly any scripture to really make a contextual case for dating and marriage in a biblical worldview. As far as living as a Christian in the 21st century, you see the books I have sitting here, I've went through a lot of resources, and I'm going to be offering up a lot of wisdom from those resources as good and valuable wisdom that has been mined by observing what Scripture has to say as well as understanding my own personal thoughts and praying regarding the truth that was revealed in these resources. We have to admit that we live in a different context than is put forth in the Bible. Women are viewed far different than they were in the ancient world, which alone causes a change in how we view many things. Not to mention, in Christ, there is neither male nor female, as per Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. One Bible scholar was rather bold in her words. However, I have come to agree with her a bit when she said the Bible does fail to offer girls or anyone a consistent message regarding sexual morals and God's priorities. Again, I might agree in part. One of my usual gripes is that when we cherry-pick Bible verses, we oftentimes make our case sound good, so it seems that our interpretation is correct. The verses are usually so vague that they aren't necessarily about the topic that we are discussing, but we stretch them to fit and apply. I don't want to offer you any of that wisdom this morning. I rather enjoy the saying that a text cannot mean whatever it was never... Let me back up and say that again. A text cannot mean what it was never intended to convey. So what I want to do in this message is mine through some of those resources, some of the wisdom that has been provided both through Scripture as well as various outside sources, men and women of God who have offered up their practical wisdom. Of course, offering up a foundation of being in Christ an understanding of the importance of a godly worldview. And prayerfully, some of the substance of their message will apply to our contexts in dating and marriage. Wisdom that each of us will and should appreciate. So when we get to looking at dating, 
I have to say it was much easier to look into marriage than dating in the Bible. It seems that we're at a pause or a divide in regards to should we date as Christians or should we court? Again, dating or courtship. I read the books by Joshua Harris, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Say hello to courtship. Great books. I've read Vodi Bauckham's book. Again, a very strong fundamental Baptist preacher with strong biblical values. One of the most strict and, dare I say, legalistic views out there regarding marriage and dating. I thought it was interesting to look at what he had offered up as a man who would be worthy to marry his daughters and then realize where I would fail. What areas can I, do I walk worthy? What areas do I fail? Always allowing the opportunity to grow. An amazing book, What He Must Be, by Vodi Bakum. So I mind these resources. Again, the context of dating in the Bible is, is absent. Courtship, even, absent. The view of women was so far different than our 21st century context. However, there were some things that did apply in some of these books. For example, in Joshua Harris's book, he talked about a concept that he had learned from his mother regarding hustle while you wait. That was her quote. And it alludes to the verse in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27, personal favorite of mine, where it says, prepare your work outside and make it ready for yourself in the field. Afterward, then build your house. You see, this is teaching, well, the way I would apply this teaching, because these are just simply sayings of wisdom, the way I would apply this teaching in our context of dating would be to advise a young man to get re- make ready his life, establish your goals and a vision, and then find a woman and pursue a woman who will be the perfect help meet to join you in the vision that you believe God has given you. Establish yourself because you are going to be the covenant man to lead your woman forward. Establish yourself, young man. And I believe that's very clear all throughout the writings the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy. He tells him to flee from youthful lust and we don't need to think that lust is a sexual thing. That comes from our over-sexualized culture. Lust simply means selfishness. When you're pursuing the things by your own selfish intention rather than considering the value and the needs and the necessities of other people around you. For example, for a young man pursuing a woman, what does that young woman need? What is best for her walk with God? Allowing those things to be considered. What things might hurt her or damage her walk with God? Consider those things. Get rid of those youthful lusts of just pursuing it with, with you know, a selfish intention. Grow in maturity. Love others as you love yourself. So, I love that concept. Hustle while you wait. Do the work that you need while you wait for God to bless you in the context of marriage. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22 says, Blessed is he who finds a wife. And again, we see this is very different than the modern context. Adam was in the Garden of Eden and was given a wife. Isaac goes and finds his wife by a rather interesting prophetic word from his father regarding a well. Jacob, the same thing. You could read about these stories in Genesis chapter 24 as well as Genesis 29. So 
What's really wise and a question that a young man in our culture would have rather than going to a well and finding a wife or God just miraculously pulling out your rib and forming a woman so you could say, whoa, man, and think how beautiful she is. We'll get to that in a moment. But outside of that context, how do we find what we're looking for as far as singles that may believe that God is blessing us in the, in the area of being married? So I thought it was interesting to find some wisdom from Scripture in regards to what should I be looking for? I want to take you through a couple passages. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees, but man looks at the outward appearance, the Lord looks at the heart. We should be seeking to be like our Lord. So we should be looking at the heart of the person, not the outward appearance. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not abound together with un- do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what believer has something in common with an unbeliever, or what agreement has the temple of the God of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them. Walk among them, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from the midst of them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, we see very clearly that we should not be caught up with those that have different agendas than us, that are not worshiping our God in spirit and in truth, the one true God. That was clearly the context here, as we know the Judaizers in the first century were affecting the churches at Corinth, were affecting the churches at Galatia, and many people were being caught over to a concept of thinking that they needed to still worship the legalistic notions of the Pharisees, or the Gentiles believed that they still needed to be yoked unfaithfully with these gods of pagan cults, being confused. We don't want to be mixed up in our agenda. We want to worship God as he desires. According to John chapter 4, verse 24, it says to worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the type of worshiper that our Father desires. Proverbs chapter 31, again, an amazing text for a woman to read in regards to what type of a woman she wants to be and for a man to understand the type of woman he wants to pursue. just want to read two verses out of that text to just point out what all of us equally should be looking for in regards to those that we're going to be married to or pursue in relationship. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. Again, we should be pursuing those that are strong, and this doesn't necessarily have to be physical strength. However, it's just a concept of strength, confidence. And then Proverbs chapter 31, verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord, 
she shall be praised. Amen. And again, we would know that to be the context for a man as well. The man in this context is already the, the covenant man carrying forth the faith, pursuing a woman who is going to further his mission to glorify God, worship God in spirit and in truth. One of the interesting things that I found in regards to dating is the constant push and force people to think that we must get married, we must pursue marriage right away, and that there's no time to enjoy the blessedness and the gift of single life, of pursuing a life in just sincere devotion to God. Don't confuse my message with that, please. If you believe God is blessing you in this moment in singleness and and that's where you want to prosper, let me please encourage you. Pursue that. Focus your mind on the things of the Lord. Or to use the verse from Scripture, set your mind on things above. Set your eyes on the author and finisher of your faith. Focus on those things. Build your house. Set the fields, as the proverb tells you. I loved what William Booth said in regards to kind of rushing the concept of marriage. He said, don't instill or allow anyone to instill into the hearts of your girls the idea that marriage is the chief end of life. If you do, don't be surprised if they get engaged to the first empty, useless fool they come across. And that goes for men as well. Don't rush into that concept to think that that's the chief end of life. The chief end of life is to glorify God. And you could do that if you're single, you could do that if you're a widow, you could do that if you're married, you could do that in dating context, and you could do that if you're simply preparing the fields and not focused on any of that. One of the interesting things I found in all the books and resources and websites in regards to dating is a lot of talk about failed relationships. I don't view relationships as the means to the end. The means to the end is for me to glorify God with my life. And that, that's, that's the goal. I'm not growing to a relationship. I'm growing through my re- relationship. I'm growing through my relationship to affect my life with God. One of the series here we're going to hold at the church in regards to marriage is called Sacred Marriage. And it's saying why marriage is not necessarily here to make us happy. It's here to make us holy. The concept of marriage is to further our walk with God, to further glorify our Lord. We're going to get to that here in a moment. We are continually experiencing new things, sometimes new relationships, sometimes new thoughts. Well, we all are experiencing new relationships in many contexts. We're all experiencing new thoughts, new truths, all in an effort to grow into the fullness of the stature of Christ. So we don't have to think that that marriage is the ultimate pursuit. No, we're growing in life. And we don't have to think that if we're in a relationship that we have to stay there. If there's no pursuit of happiness and there's no really growing in regards to your relationship with God. Again, that is where you pursue the, you know, Proverbs has a lot to say in regards to having many counselors and seeking the wisdom of other people and seeking the resources in regards to how to live a healthy you know, marriage and how to live a healthy dating. And I believe it's something every single one of us, if we're in those contexts, are always going to be growing in. Just in the same, as the same thing as the single man or woman who is growing in their relationship with God. It's always going to be a continual pursuit. I don't believe in sinless perfectionism, that one day as a human being you will become perfect. I think that's a silly notion. 
So now let's talk a little bit about marriage. Again, it's easier to find and establish context of marriage in Scripture rather than dating. God actually uses marriage to symbolize his consummative purpose, to be one with his people. Talk about a glorified union. Some of the resources that I read in regards to marriage was created to be his helpmeet by Debbie Pearl, talking more so toward the woman. For men only and for women only, great uh, resource um, I personally recommend. I've, I've met both of them. I think that they have a godly marriage and they have a lot of wisdom to offer. Um, the men's book actually comes with a kind of a, a stretched out guide to women um, to further help the man understand the mind and heart of a woman. Um, again, great resources. I recommend them wholeheartedly. Um, also, Love and Respect, a book and a resource that I'm looking to actually write a review on in the next couple days and offer that through my blog. Um, Sacred Marriage and Uh, which we're going to do here is a video series. Also, one of the resources I'll mention is a New York City conference coming up next weekend, also a conference here on Long Island happening next weekend, as well as the Mingling of Souls happening next weekend, which you can order on video for $20 per couple and enjoy in your home, grab a glass of wine, sit by the fireplace, and allow God to really speak to you through these resources. Let's take a look real quickly here in regards to some of the areas of Scripture that we we hear about marriage. And and starting immediately in Genesis chapter 2, here in the Garden of Eden, we see the Lord God said it is not good for man to be alone, here in verse 18. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, all the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field, But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And he slept, and he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh." And man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And now I believe this to be very clear covenant talk in regards to the origins of Israel and what God had done through Adam and Eve and the story of the fall and how it speaks to each and every one of us. Again, we all know that we're sinners. We know that if we're given the proper setup here, what Adam and Eve are being given, you know, God actually provided man his wife. And, you know, there's a lot being said there in regards to the ancient Near East and what God is doing. However... We can all identify with the story of the fall. Don't want to take that away from anybody. And um, we understand what's happening there. So this is a beautiful picture of marriage. Beautiful union. One of the, the first sermons I heard, actually, in regards to Genesis was a preacher, and he went on a kind of long rant, but he finalized with the, the story of how Adam and Eve, when God had formed Eve, he took her to Adam, and Adam's response was, Whoa, man! And that's where we got the name woman, was just, you know, this, you made that out of me, you know, stinky old, you know, uh, just me. <laughs> me. You made that out of me. Wow. Beautiful. And again, you see with how that can make you admire not only God, but also make you look at your wife as a beautiful creation provided by God. How that should affect we look at women in general and how we look at our wives and those we're pursuing in courtship or dating, um, whatever context you believe applies and more, you're more firm upon, 
Um, I believe that's a matter of conscience, to be very clear. Um, how that should affect our view of women. I don't want to go to the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because, again, there's a context there. There is value in single life. There is value in not pursuing marriage and, you know, and valuing what God's doing in your life. But to use and abuse the text of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, which has been done far too often, actually makes people feel as though getting married becomes a sin because I'm taking my devotion off of God. That cannot be right. When we're pursuing relationships prayerfully, your relationships your marriage is bringing you into union with God. Actually, this week, I had the opportunity to ask somebody in, about marriage and um, in, in regards to relationships and what beautiful God-ordained relationships should look like. And she shared with me, and she said that our relationships, when we come together, a man and a woman, we should come together and as one unit. We should be able to glorify God. We should look like Christ when people look at us, that we should be able to fix maybe the areas that uh, one another maybe doesn't have the strengths in, and we could be the strength in that area for them. We could bear their burden. Um, or maybe there's areas we enhance that we highlight in, in this person, and we begin to see how God is being further glorified through our life, through our ministry, and how that works to the glory of God. That is a beautiful explanation of how we pursue marriage, what we view marriage as. And I believe 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has been far too often used and abused. So, again, what I would simply say is there's a context to it. They were waiting for the end that was coming in that generation. They knew that time was becoming a disaster. The destruction of Jerusalem was in A.D. 70, and it was about to happen at the end of that generation, just as Christ and the apostles preached. So, Taking the, adding the context there, and if you need a little bit more context, I would say go back to Jeremiah chapter 16, and you'll read the same exact thing being prophesied in regards to the first destruction of Jerusalem when Jeremiah was lamenting over the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. at the hands of the Babylonians. He tells them the same advice in Jeremiah 16 that the Apostle Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Nothing new under the sun there. So a text I do want to take us to is Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 22 through 32. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be their, to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the, with the, of the, water with the word that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I am speaking in reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must also see to it that she respects her husband. So yes, the whole context is about the church. We know that. 
However, there's very simply the addition there in verse 33 that nevertheless, let's make sure the individuals understand the, the individual responsibility as well. Allow this whole thing to be a demonstration for you. The church submits to Christ because Christ has our benefit. Christ loved us first, so we submit to him. Husband, love your wife first. Allow her to submit to you. Man, how I'm preaching to myself. Submit to your, your husband's wives. He has your best interest at heart. Allow him to lead you forward in discipleship and lead you forward to further glorify God. Because that's why the church submits to God. Because that's what God has done for us. Let's look at another text to further verify that. In Colossians chapter 3, we read very similar advice. Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 through 19. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to the, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as do not be embittered against them. And then next week, we're actually going to get further into Colossians chapter 3, verses 20 through 21. So, I want to highlight three concepts for you and make this very simple in regards to all dating and relationships, all marriages, all unions. For, for example, last week I highlighted the same concepts in regards to church life. Prayerfully, you got that concept out of that sermon. I'll be doing that again today. I'll be doing that again next week. I'll be doing that again the following week. In our sermon series here, in regards to life together, there's three concepts we're going to keep noticing. Fellowship, mission, and agape love. Fellowship, again, we, I noted last week that Christian fellowship is different than worldly fellowship. Worldly fellowship comes together and it's a democracy. It's the thoughts of each and every person come together, rule of the majority, and so forth. Christian fellowship comes together and Christ is the head. It's his words, his foundation that stand true. So when we come together, we unite under him. It's characterized by Christ bringing us together. We're uniquely different, but together in Christ we are one. So that's the characterization of our fellowship. So again, does your marriage look like that? Does your pursuit of courtship or dating look like that? Are you fellowshipping in the Lord? Because that's the first necessity you need in regards to anything that you're doing in regards to life together. Let me say that one more time because that didn't seem to make much sense. Fellowship, Christian fellowship, union in the Lord should be the characterization of each and every relationship that you have. Christ should be seen through that union. Again, whether it be courtship, dating, marriage, church life, dating, family life, etc., friendships with the world. Then we talk about mission. Again, we know the church's mission, to make disciples of the nations, to show our God to be a wise and understanding God, to be a true God that is so near to us that he is found within his corporate body, the body of Christ. That's our mission. That's the mission of your relationships as well. 
Does your marriage look like the image of God? Do you, when you read 1 Corinthians 13, do you see those things? Because our God is love. Do you see those images in your marriage? Do you see those images in the fruits of the Spirit in regards to dating? I don't think I need to keep repeating 2 Peter chapter 1, which clearly tells you in that context all the things that you need to be pursuing in order to be effective and productive in your use of the knowledge of God. And that applies very well to your marriage life, to your dating. And you get a long to-do list there of the things that we should be applying. So that's our mission, to be useful and productive and effective in our use of the knowledge of God. Are we doing that in all of our contexts? And then agape love, is it a selfless love? that you're using, the selfless love that's being pursued and shown through your relationship, a love that nurtures, a love that is forgiving, graceful, edifying, up, encouraging, working toward the building up of one another, the love that is reflected of the Father, that even when sometimes it's hard to love, or as for our Father, it was I would imagine we were impossible to love, for he, we only love him because he first loved us. Is that the husband's? Is that the love you're giving your wife, that she loves you because you first loved her? Wives, is that the love you're offering your husband, that you first loved him, and that's why he loves you? These are the things that we need to be pursuing. Fellowship, mission, and agape love in regards to all of our relationships. And I believe the biblical precedent for them is very clear. It's a biblical worldview. I don't need to cherry-pick my favorite Bible verse to get you to see those very clear contexts there in regards to everything that we do. I loved what was said in one of these resources. It said, our lives are too different, our circumstances are too unique, and our God too creative to have only one formula for romance. And it compared it to a snowflake analogy. For example, no two snowflakes are alike, ever, right? They'll never be the same. They're each uniquely different. However, there's a component that makes them all the same. They all freeze at the same temperature. So in our relationships, there's certain grounding things, and I would offer up fellowship, Christian fellowship, mission, and agape love as those things that are the temperature, the freezing agent that keeps all of our relationships together, that glorifies God through our relationships, our lives together. However, they could be expressed in many different ways and different unique advices, you know, important I loved another concept I read was purity is a direction, not a line we suddenly cross by going too far. Each and every one of us are living in a life of of hopefully pursuing purity. That the pure shall see God. That we are seeking to be pure as he would want us to be holy, to be set apart as he would want us to be, to reflect his glory. Ultimately, everything that we're involved with, every relationship, every event, every idea, every thought, should be pursuit of our discipleship. We need to flee the youthful lusts, each and every one of us, the things that are always about our selfish ambition, and we need to continually pursue Christ, grow in our love for God and our love for our neighbor, and stop trying to do things our way. Because that's the problem we read about in the Garden of Eden, and that is highlighted in 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. One of the interesting concepts, I think, in regards to dating and marriage would be our intention and our expectation. Too often people want what they want or what they think they want, which is usually happiness in one form right now. The irony of their impatience is that it is only led by a learning to wait and by a willingness to accept the bad with the good. Do we usually, that's the only way we usually attain 
anything that is truly worthwhile. We are all called to be one glorious body for the glory of God. We are a building, a workmanship of our Lord, expressed in so many different ways, so many different relationships, and so many different expressions. Our God is ultimately the true definition of love. 1 John 4.16 says, God is love. In a carnal world, clearly showing Failed or fake love, failed marriages, desperate attempts to find love, and so much other depressing thoughts, the role of our life together in all the expressions is to promote love and life and liberty to our neighbor. I know that St. Valentine would appreciate a sermon that honored him in that way, and God is surely glorified in the points that I made this morning. So whether you are single, dating, or married this morning, I admonish each and every one of us to be living our lives that is a love story for the glory of God that we would be proud of. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you captivate each and every one of us, Lord, with the concept of Christian fellowship, that we would understand that in all of our relationships that we are to be set apart as a people that are known for their love, their love for you, Lord, and their love for other people, especially their love for one another, the household of faith. Lord, may we pursue that in our relationships with one another, our relationships in our married life, our relationships in dating. May we always have your mission before us, Lord, that we are to be your image to a world that needs to understand your knowledge, that we would have that mission in all of our relationships and that we would express agape love a selfless love that we can only learn through you Lord I pray that you are glorified by all that was said here today and that what was said here today has seeped in and crept into the mind of each and every person here and those listening as well Lord that you will receive the glory by those that are united in you May we continue to offer up our worship in spirit and in truth. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.